The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Thank you for your wonderful singing, Sammy and, and uh, Abby. That, uh, that little uh, thing you were doing there on that, those two instruments, the violins, uh, really helped me there with that song. It was just so beautiful. Thank you for preparing that and playing that so well. And uh, it was helpful to me. I don't know about anybody else, but there you go. Um, first, Second Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians 1. I want to talk about two things this morning. Children go to children's church. That's one of the things I want to talk about. Um, so I can talk. <laughs> they like to sometimes, and I miss that. I miss that. But I'm, I'm grateful for the good ministry that goes on back there for our children's workers. Just so tremendous. Um, but anyway, I want to talk about two things this morning as I close out this 12-week series on continuous spiritual renewal. Uh, the first thing will be uh, a retrieval of the central message of the gospel. So I want to uh, just again uh, retrieve for us the central message of the gospel. Um, I want to, to say that if our lives are to be transformed by the gospel, then we must continually be reproved by the gospel. We don't believe the gospel and then leave it. We are to be continually reproved by it. And then um, I pray we will pledge ourselves to remain in it. That we will pledge ourselves to remain in it. So that's the first thing I want to do in this sermon. Retrieve the gospel. Reprove us and pledge ourselves to remain in it. The second thing I want to do in this sermon is to make um, a personal affirmation of my commitment to stay true to the gospel uh, through apostolic pastoring and op- apostolic preaching. Uh, so when it is time for you to go home here in a little bit, I want you to do so with confidence that uh, your pastor, that I will not vacillate in my commitment to care for your souls through a gospel-centered ministry. And then uh, I pray as I go home, that I will know um, that you will not vacillate in your commitment to it. That together we will be firm for uh, the gospel. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 12, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, And supremely so towards you, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand that I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I 
wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The word of the Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. These gospel commitments may not sound all that impressive today by some church standards, but we should remember that the message of Jesus did not sound all that impressive when it first came on the scene. In one sense, the central message of the gospel is indeed a strange sounding story. But it is a story that needs to be retold and retold. We must never think that we have to polish up the story to make it more believable to those outside the church. Or that somehow we need to tweak it to make it more helpful within the church. The apostolic church had complete confidence in the central theme of the gospel because as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Jesus is the final amen. Paul's point is what the psalmist foresaw foresaw as we read last week at the benediction of Psalm 89, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. The apostolic message that prevailed did not sound all that impressive when it was first proclaimed. It was rooted in a life of a little-known, untrained rabbi with no credentials. Rabbi Jesus hailed from the backwater town of Nazareth. The little insight that Andrew gives us when he says, does anything good come out of Nazareth, gives us an indication of what people in general thought about Nazareth. So who would have thought Messiah would come from there. At one point, his own family thought he was insane. He's inside the house, a bunch of people. He's proclaiming to be God. And his family's outside saying, somebody's got to go in and get him. He's lost his mind. That's not a very good start. The leader you're following commonly thought by people, in fact, his own family, to have been insane. Uh, The uh, respected religious leaders uh, thought he was possessed by a demon. So now you're going to say that you are following someone with no credentials, um, whose own family thought he was insane, and who the learned men that know the scriptures say, oh, that guy's got a demon. 
when Jesus was finally brought to account by the Jewish officials, it led to him being turned over to Roman authorities. They traded Jesus in for a murdering insurrectionist. That's how little they thought of him. They would rather have somebody they knew that would bring them trouble than to have Jesus who just went around doing good. The Romans then, of course, put him to a shameful death by crucifixion. It was a public death. The Jews believed then the problem Jesus had created for them was now over. But then three days later, um, after his public shameful death, there are these sightings of Jesus. Uh, Women are reporting to have met Jesus. Now, no offense, ladies, but at that time, a woman's testimony would not have been received as necessarily credible. But there they are, saying, hey, we, we, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we've eaten with him. He, he's actually alive, not a spirit, not a memory, physically, bodily alive. And then the followers of Jesus stake their lives on the truth that Jesus indeed is risen from the dead. Isn't that an odd thing? For people to have staked their lives on someone who says he has risen from the dead, but we know uh, the governing authorities, you know, said he was dead. He was dead. Shamefully so. The Jewish authorities says, you believe in Jesus, he was accursed by God. His own family thought he was insane. The man was demon-possessed, came from Nazareth. Who would believe his story? Who would want to believe that story? Who would want to identify with him? But they did. And they began to tell people that it was through the shameful, God-forsaken death of Jesus of Nazareth that God would forgive sins. Now, who would believe that? Wait a second. You want me to stake my eternal future before a holy God on the fact that Jesus can forgive my sins? I don't think so. But you know, as they told that message, people did believe. And they began to follow Jesus just as those first disciples did. And this is the central message that transforms people. And the question that you and I have to grapple with simply is this. Do we have complete confidence in that message? Do we have complete confidence in that message? Not a message that we have to polish up. Not a message that we have to make, you know, somewhat more acceptable. But to you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, hold fast and have complete confidence in the central message of the gospel. And if we do, will we walk that long road 
of obedience together and be renewed together day by day as we proclaim it, as we live it, as we put our hope into it. This is what is at the heart of apostolic preaching and apostolic pastoring to preach the cross to its fullest dimensions means that we take the central message of Jesus as the amen, as the amen. And we say to each other, regardless of what hits us in life, he is the amen. He is the answer. We're not looking for somebody else. You might recall John the Baptist, early right proclaiming, Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. Not too long after, John's in prison. And he sends his disciples to Jesus with one question. Are you really who you say you are or should we be looking for somebody else? And I'm not so sure that the church isn't asking the same question today. <laughs> and let me just say, there is no one else to look for. He is the final amen. He loves us. He cares for us. He has overcome all things so that through him, you and I can overcome as well. If what I said last week is true, and I believe it to be so, after the resurrection of Jesus, all issues are resolved. All issues are resolved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This means that we can confidently say to one another in times when we're only seeing through the glass darkly, don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. He is the final amen. He is the one the psalmist believed to be the blessed one. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. If we are going to experience continuous spiritual renewal, it must be through the life of Jesus now poured out upon us in the Holy Spirit. And this is what those first disciples did as they began the fruit of the seed that was planted. And they're gathered together in one place, having all things in common. And they are proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I stood at the graveside yesterday, exit 16, for the Salmonson family. And I said to the folks that were there, having no idea what they knew or understood about God or Jesus or the church or any of them that might even have believed in that. And I said, there is only one hope we have, and that is Jesus raised from the dead. And if you and I want to have continu continuous spiritual renewal, to be renewed day by day, live in the central truths of the gospel. Don't leave them. So that's, my, that's my first point. And I want you to be confident about that. But I said there was a second thing I wanted to do. And so I want to make three affirmations or three promises. These are my amen to you. And they really flow out of this text in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open uh, to be looking at them. The first affirmation I make to you, the first amen, if you will, uh, is to be present. To be present. I, I, I don't just mean physically present. 
I mean emotionally present. I mean spiritually present. And by God's grace, as long as the, the thing between my ears keeps working, I'll be mentally present. To be present. Paul had a problem with the Corinthians that he was trying to solve. It was a relational problem that stemmed from his good intentions. He, uh, he, he makes it clear that he wanted to visit them, verse 16, on his way to Macedonia. And then he wanted to come back to them from Macedonia so that they might send him on his way to Judea. But it didn't happen. And uh, he was kept from visiting, and the Corinthians took this as a slight. Now, you know, after 31 years of pastoring this church, there have been times when I have failed miserably to be present among you, and times when God has helped me to make a little bit of progress, for which I'm thankful all of that is to be accepted or expected. But my point is this. I am your pastor, and I desire to continue to be your pastor, to be present among you. At some point, uh, the relationship will end, but until God makes that clear, I want you to know I am not vacillating in my work towards you. I'm not saying one thing and hoping for another thing. Just as Paul knew that he had, it was his desire, he wanted to go to Corinth, and he, he wanted to do it not just once but twice, but he was prevented, and the Corinthians were frustrated about that, so he writes them a letter letting them know what his heart intention was, his desire. And so I want to affirm uh, my place here to be present here that I am not in any way vacillating in my work towards you. I am not saying yes, but actually in my heart saying no. I will be present, and I pray by God's grace it will not be a half-hearted presence, for I do desire to live deliberately among you and to do so for the glory of God. But there may be something that gets in the way of that. See what God has, what God will do. And if not, I promise as long as he has me here then to be present among you. And I trust that God will continue to bless our relationship together. To be present. But then to pastor. To pastor. It's such a beautiful word. And yet, and yet, so sadly, has been um, taken out of the lexicon of churches. And over time, out of the memory of people, we see the effects of that in the church. The call to apostolic pastoring is hinted at by Paul in verse number 12 when he says, Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world, world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. We find the word boast uh, to be a bit unsavory, 
But Paul actually, in this very short passage, uses the word three times. He speaks of his boast uh, concerning his ministry, his behavior, how he acts in the world. And and then in verse number 14, uh, there is this aspect that on the day of Jesus, the Corinthians will boast about Paul and his team, and that on that same day, Paul and his team will boast about them. Now, you know, we, we've kind of understood boasting to be a bad thing. Nobody likes a braggart. Nobody likes to shove themselves forward into the center and let everybody think about how great they are. But Paul doesn't, um, Paul doesn't like step back from this. Paul says, my behavior among you and your behavior towards me and our behavior towards you is something that we should boast about to the glory of God even on the day of judgment. It's interesting, isn't it? On the day of the Lord, Paul desires a commendation from the people he has served and he desires them to commend him. I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, there's Kenny Prater standing in front of judgment and Jesus is asking Kenny Prater some questions and the Durkee Town Church is over here saying, Jesus, give the guy a break. He did the best he could. Look at him, he didn't have much to work with. Give him a break, you know? And then there, there you all before Jesus in judgment, and I'm over here saying, Jesus, give him a break. They did the best they could. Yeah, they were great people, but, you know, they had a few problems, you know? But give him a break. And Paul kind of has in his mind this idea that, you know, it's a mutual community coming together by which we are commending one another, and can you imagine, even on the day of judgment, When all things, all things are revealed. You won't point the finger like, I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) I knew that. But you'll say, no, like, give him a break. Give him a break. He's a good guy. Good people. You know, it isn't enough simply to, to affirm each other concerning the things in this life, although we need to be doing that. And quite honestly, we need to do a better job of that. But to have our eyes pointed in the future towards this great day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, a judgment seat filled with grace and mercy, and to be able, even on that day, to commend one another. You see, if we are confident about the central message of the Christian faith, then let us live confidently even about that day that is coming. That by what we mutually believe and affirm together about Jesus is indeed true, that he is God's final amen. And when we stand together in judgment, we stand before the one, Jesus. And we hear him say what? Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. What this means then is that you should expect from my pastoral ministry among you to have a focus that then encourages you in the central truth of the gospel to not only prepare your soul for eternity, but then to do so collectively together as a body that mutually boasts and affirms and commends one another. After the graveside service yesterday, 
Fran Salmonson's daughter came up to me and said, thank you so very much. She said, um, you know, your church runs like a well-oiled machine. And, and, and inside myself, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I just said, yes, it does. Praise the Lord. I'm glad we could serve you so well. And can you, can you imagine a church where there's no grumbling, no complaining, you make a phone call, or you say to somebody, would you head this up? They say, yes, they will. They make the phone calls, and people bring food, and people help out, and people pitch in, and they set up tables and chairs, and they take them down, and they take out the garbage, and they do all of this stuff in service to a family that they love and care about. See, that's Acts 4. That's what Joy read earlier. That's the fruit of the seed of promise that Isaiah wrote about in that, that most beautiful poem of Isaiah 35. It is you and I commending ourselves one to another, making our boasts one to another, because we bought into pastoral ministry. We bought into the actual work of apostolic pastoring, caring for one another's souls. But we take this bulletin and we don't just leave it somewhere, but we look at those names, shut-ins, who's in the hospital, where do we need to focus our prayers on the sick and the hurting among us? We remember the benevolent offering that we need to sacrifice a little bit to give something to help people who have a greater need than you have. You look at how we can do that one for another by God's grace. You know, and I told the diaconate on Tuesday night I was going to do this, so I think I better do it. And that is, you know, we're blessed with a big gift for the diaconate at the beginning of the year, and then the gifts kind of like level off and then oh you know over the year they kind of go a little bit lower and we do have a bit of a need in the in the benevolent offering but that need uh if it is to be met praise god and i hope you will um you know if you have the ability to do that because the needs are so great around us this is pastoral ministry this is apostolic pastoring that i pray you buy into and that we continue to affirm one another in so my amen to you is to be present among you, not yes and no, but yes. To pastor among you, not yes and no, but yes. And then the third P, you might have already guessed it. To preach, to preach. If there was one point in the series on continuous spiritual renewal that I hoped you thought deeply about, it would have been the point about itching ears. From 2 Timothy 4, where Paul outlines what is, the, uh, what is the work of preaching to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. Because a time will come when people are going to have itching ears. Quite honestly, the undoing of the church in America happened because pastors did not stand firm but caved into the demands of itching ears of parishioners. And then in some cases, parishioners desperately wanted the gospel to be preached and pastors thought they were too smart for God. And they decided to go another direction. And so we always have to come back and preach. And I think this is Paul's point, right? Beginning in verse number 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. So you better never let it 
slip out of your hands. But the person who stands here is proclaiming Jesus to be the yes. Finally, fully, completely. It is as Paul wrote, and it is why we can utter our amen to God for his glory. If we desire to be firmly established in the good things of God, if we desire to be there, Joe Hamilton, I apologize. Would you go to the very back door? Somebody needs something back there. I apologize to break that, but let me just send you out there. Let me try to regain my thought. If we desire to be firmly established, then let us rest in the hope that he has poured out his spirit on us as a guarantee of his work within us. That there is a guarantee of the work of Jesus through his Holy Spirit poured out upon us in this place. This is what Paul's point is at the end in verse number 22. That God graciously has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In our hearts as a guarantee. You met in the Bible study a few weeks ago. This is earnest money. This is earnest money. This is what God has said. Your future inheritance is guaranteed because I put in the bank of your life and heart my spirit who testifies about me and testifies that Jesus is the final amen. So may God give us an ever-increasing desire for apostolic preaching that retrieves truth, that reproves with truth, and that remains in the truth. For the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ to its fullest dimensions is indeed my great privilege. To preach it to you is my great delight. And to do otherwise will bring irreparable damage. It just will bring damage. If we weaken the central reality of which we exist. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again. Some years ago now, uh, I met, Zach and I met Jesse. He was stationed in England at the time and we had talked about doing a trip to Normandy to see the invasion site um, and all of the history surrounding Normandy. And I was struck by uh, what I learned as I was walking through the, uh, the, the bunker area, and there was a, a sign that explained that the French, who were uh, forced into labor by the Nazis to build uh, the embankments and the, and the bunkers, that they uh, were given a specific um, way to mix the concrete that would fortify uh, the bunkers. And uh, they were given the, what those bars thing that you call, that you put the cement around. What are, you guys know, I don't know what that stuff's called. Well, there you go, rebar. And, um, and the sign said that when the Nazis weren't looking, the French resistance would dilute uh, the, the mixture of cement. And that they would bury uh, the rebars in the, in the sand. It was their way of fighting back. So that when the naval bombardment came, the, uh, the, the fortifications were weaker. And I was thinking about that. To not preach the gospel weakens your fortifications. 
the bombardment of this godless world on our souls needs strong fortification. But if your ears are itching for gospel light, church light, then you will not stand in the day. Neither the day of oppression nor the day of judgment. Jesus, then, is God's great amen. And we need to proclaim him. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. And these are my commitments to you. To be present, the pastor to preach. And now I invite you into the joyful fellowship of Jesus offered at this table. And as we come together to remember what he has done for his church, and to once again invite you, if you have never personally received forgiveness for sins, if you have not confessed Christ to be Savior, that you would talk with me or talk with somebody in this church who can point you to Jesus. To say again, if you are stuck spiritually, if you have some sin you are not overcoming, if there is some great need you haven't told anybody, but you need prayer and counsel, lean into the pastoral ministry of your church so that together we may be strengthened by His grace as we give this long obedience in the same direction. Walking, walking, walking together to that day when all of God's people say, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Father, as we now pause to consider uh, the table of the Lord, which is before us, I pray that you might uh, make our hearts ready and glad to receive it, and that we might, oh God, by your grace, be strengthened by it. We'll pause for some quietness and your own preparation for the Lord's table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.